to Luther's world of cryptids, ghosts, and the unexplained. If you're into strange things that fly above us in the skies, or creepy things that go bump in the night, then you have come to the right place. Much like cryptid creatures or folklore tales, they all have a home here, and so do you in Luther's world. Welcome to chapter number nine. Number nine. Who knows? Number nine. Well, let's dive right into it with, I never thought it would happen to be real stories told by the people who experienced the encounters. And our first tale is told by Nyla Rose. So she tells us about a haunted house that she grew up in. And then we're going to hear from John Schuyler. He tells us about a haunted ballroom, the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. Okay, so I am what's, I guess, described as like a sensitive. So I tend to like find myself in these weird situations and I'm always experiencing things that are like unexplainable. Um, so one instance is when I was little, we used to live in this house and Call it what you will, I think it was haunted. On several occasions, there were just unexplainable things that were happening that the only reasonable solution were spirits were running amok in our house. Um, so we used to have uh, the insulation, like the plastic, basically like cellophane that you put on the windows to kind of like, you know, regulate the temperature and perfectly sealed up, but for some reason, somehow, flies like dead flies would always be trapped inside despite no logical way that they could have gotten in there i didn't learn till later that like the significance of like flies and like dead flies being like evil and stuff so when i found that out later i was like super glad we moved but um there were several several times i can account for playing with something or watching tv and like hearing the floorboards like 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 weight was being put on like someone's walking across the floor even though i'm the only one in the room or if someone was with me they were right next to me can't explain that that's like that's kind of crazy um we used to have a piano and it was one of those i don't know what they're called i'm not like a musician on that level but the ones that are like flat back and you can like close the top so we used to have one in our den area and the the key guard was down like there's no way to touch the keys but you would you would hear the keys like ding 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 like going off turn on the light to go look and no pets in the house nobody's playing the piano what is making it go off like it was really freaky i actually hated staying there but i was so little my word my vote didn't count you know nobody would believe the creek the crazy child saying oh then i think there's ghosts in this house um like so many little things like that uh losing a toy in one part of the house and it turning up in another part of the house like out in our shed where i've never been like again only kid no reason for adults to move my stuff no animals growing up so i don't know how my toys ended you know got lost from point a and ended up in point b that i had never been in um and then the last thing I recall about this house, aside from just like weird feelings and like everything I said, 
uh, when we moved in, and I didn't find this out till later, but my mom told me when they got the house, or when they when they were moved into the house, in the shed, uh, somebody had like written like "Don't live here" or like "Leave" or, or like something along those lines. I forget. I, I probably should have called her before I made this video, but it was like something along the lines of like "Don't don't live here" or "Leave" or "Get out" or something. It, it wasn't dramatic like a movie. It wasn't written in blood or anything. It was like an ink pen, but it was still written. So whoever was the previous owners definitely had some bad juju about this place, and they were trying to convey that message. And and it, it was a very weird place to live. That is probably like my most hands-on experience, and it just uh, it stuck with me to this day. Hello, folks. AW Dark slash dynamite slash elevation uh, performer John Schuyler here with a special ghost story for all of you watching or listening to this on whatever platform you may be watching or listening on. So there's a pretty famous building in New York City uh, that has housed wrestling for years called the Hammerstein Ballroom. It's right in downtown Manhattan. And I was wrestling for Ring of Honor Wrestling at the time back in February of 2017. And the cool thing about the Hammerstein Ballroom is uh, it, the seating is always elevated. It goes up, 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 up. So there's not really a bad seat in the building. Um, at the top of the Hammerstein Ballroom, there's a crow's nest where if you go up there and you have to kind of be like a, a talent or go, go through the locker room to get there, you can look down and see right above the action in the ring. And so there's like this long legend uh, that uh, the crow's nest is haunted. Uh, there's a lot of union workers that work in New York City, uh, people that don't necessarily work or are contracted to a certain building. Sometimes uh, they're just hired by the city to come in and work. And as legend has it, there was a union worker up there one time and at the very top of the, of the Hammerstein. Uh, and nobody really knows what happened to them. They disappeared. I don't know if they... Uh, if they fell or if they or if they died, uh, nobody really knows. But the worker that uh, was up there had never been seen since. So, as legend has it, again, if you were to go up there at the top of the crow's nest, you could hear whispering. Uh, you could hear people running up and down the steps. So I had to go check this out for myself. Uh, so, and, and of course, being a wrestler, you think maybe the guys are just messing with you. Maybe the guys that are telling these stories are just ribbon you or or whatever the case may be as wrestlers do so i go to the top of the the hammerstein up to the crow's nest to watch the main event that night and as i'm looking over the view was incredible i mean you're right over top of literally everybody it's like straight down just picture if you were right over top of a wrestling ring uh literally hanging from or hanging from the rafters as they say and Every couple seconds, I would turn back around because I would hear somebody running up the steps, but there was nobody behind me. And then I thought, okay, that's weird. So then again, being a wrestler, I think maybe the guys are just messing with me. Maybe it's the guys pitter-pattering with their feet or doing something to kind of mess with me. But this happened several times throughout the course of a 15, 20-minute match. Every time I turned around, there was nobody there. Uh, and then finally I went down the stairs to kind of scope it out and none of the guys were around. So I'm John Schuyler and that's my story. It is now time for the paper trail stories sent in by you, the viewers. Our stories today, the first one I will read 
it's going to be a story about a possible Hatman encounter. Then we're going to hear a story read by WCW superstar Glacier as he tells us about a story that happened in a children's hospital and most importantly in the morgue. Then we go to Austin Gunn as he tells us a story sent in from the UK about a meeting in a pub, a meeting that has never left the writer. Now it's time for the paper trail. Letters sent in to me by you to be read. Your experiences. First letter. My first paranormal experience happened while my stepbrother at the time and myself were playing ping pong in the garage. I was 10 at the time. He was 11. We were left home alone. Anyways, our dog started barking like crazy, so we opened the back door to the garage to check it out. It was dark at the time, but there was enough light to see to a certain distance. Both of us, both of us saw a tall figure standing next to our cherry tree. You could not see his face. He had what looked like an undertaker hat and a trench coat. So we ran inside and called 911 and told them there was someone in our backyard. We had a Florida room in the back of the house. We went in there to see if the figure was still there and it was. The cop showed up, searched the backyard and found nothing. That's from Phil. Thanks Phil. Sounds like a hat man to me. Hey guys, this is Glacier, and I'm uh, reading a little bit of the uh, fan mail for uh, Luther's World here. So uh, bear with me, I haven't read out loud in quite a while, so hopefully I don't screw this up. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start from the top. Hey, hey doctor, big fan. I'm a security guard at a children's hospital up here in Canada, and this place is about as haunted as it gets. Built in the 1890s, there are certain parts of the building, even the cleaning staff won't go there alone. Uh, one of the... One, in, one uh, is the area around the morgue, for obvious reasons, uh, absolutely. Uh, there is a small room attached to the morgue called the quiet room. Man, that's scary already. Where families go to, to grieve and receive help when the unfortunate the worst happens. A few months ago, at about 3 in the morning, my colleague and I were uh, doing patrols when we found the quiet room unlocked. Door open and about a foot and all the lights on. Um, Chairs pulled up to the tables, and a tissue box set up as if the staff were expecting a family meeting to take place. Thing is, the morgue was empty. No family meetings had taken place in there for days, according to our records, and the only people in the building that late at night who had keys to the room were myself and my supervisor. So we checked the cameras, thinking it was housekeeping. Maybe 20 minutes before, we found out the door, uh, we found the door and started investigating. Between 2.30 and 3 a.m., the door slowly opened about a foot and you could see through the cracks the light switch on, the light switch was on as if someone had been inside all night. No one ever left. Creepiest feeling in the world to watch that door open on that screen. The room always gave me the creeps, but it's but, but it's way worse now. <laughs> Thanks for the entertainment every week. Hope y'all are safe down there. Best wishes, Lyle. Thanks, Lyle. This is Austin Gunn, all elite wrestling superstar and MVP of the crowd and one-third of the gun club. And today we're going to be reading stories 
from Luther's World. And this one comes from Kev. Cheers. Let's get right into it. Hey, Luther. My name's Kev Eustace from Liverpool, England. I host the We Need to Talk About Ghosts podcast and have been on Chris's Talk is Jericho show the last few Halloweens. Just seen your tweet and thought I'd share the weirdest thing that I've personally experienced. This was around late November 1997. I'm a bit of a singer in my spare time and due to this, my name was passed on by a friend of mine who was writing a play for an amateur group and was looking for a lead who could sing. I spoke to the guy, called Mark, over the phone, and we agreed to meet in a cafe on Bold Street in Liverpool City Center that Friday with the rest of the cast. The cafe is still there today, but is very hipster now and trendy. However, back then it was much simpler and more authentic. The owners were very liberal, and you would often find homeless people just having a break from the cold, and they'd give them free cups of tea and things like that. Anyway, I arrive around 8 p.m. and find the group sat around on one of the tables. The cafe was set up with like a long booth which had four or five tables pulled up to it in the chairs on the other side. So you either sat on the long bench thing or facing the bench in a chair. I could tell from Mark's face that I wasn't what he pictured. And it transpired the part was for an ex-army guy, my deep voice over the phone, had not portrayed the nine stone wet through student with John Lennon glasses and a mop haircut that I actually was. Mark introduced me to the group and made space for me to sit down on the bench so I had the bulk of the group to my right and the one guy to my left. Mark goes on to introduce each person and what they do. So like, this is Sarah, she's the female lead. And this is Andy, he plays our friend. He then gestures to the guy to my right and says... And Steve does the music. We go through everything to do with the play and start getting to know each other, having a bit of a laugh, all except Steve, who just stays quiet. Fine, I thought. Some people are just quiet. Anyways, as I do, when in new company, I start the topic of ghosts and ghost stories off. We all share some great tales, except, except Steve, of course, who just sips his tea. It gets to about 10 p.m. and we all pile outside and start saying our goodbyes. From the whole group, it's only me who's getting a train from Lime Street with the rest going to a place called Kirkby via the Central Station. So they walk one way down Bold Street and I stand outside the cafe and light a cig, debating the best way to get to the station. Steve then comes out of the cafe and says, Sorry Kev, but did you say you were from Hoyton? I said yes, and he said he was two and offered me a lift. This was a no-brainer, given it was a 20-minute walk to the station and a 30-minute walk on the other side, so I jumped at the offer, got in, and we set off. So, you seem really into all the supernatural stuff, Steve said. I said, yeah, I have been since a kid, really. He started rubbing his mouth, like debating something. Then he says, I really want to tell you something, supernatural, but no, no. He shakes his head. So I'm obviously really keen to hear this story. If it's so terrifying, he's unsure whether he should tell it. So I'm smiling and like, oh, you can't leave it like that, mate. He doesn't smile back. Just keeps his eyes on the road. And somewhere in my body, a little alarm starts ringing faintly. But I know it's there. Okay, but you can't tell a soul, seriously. I won't, I said. The little alarm gets louder now. Listen. I'll tell you I just don't want it to pass over to you, so if anything happens, I'm not to blame.
right? Well, the alarm was deafening now, and he hadn't even started, and I was already terrified. I nod and say, yeah, 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 of course. And he begins. It started when I took the wife and kids to Glastonbury. Not the festival. We went down in late October. We went to a field by the tour, a big hill with a small turret on top, which is hundreds of years old. And the kids were playing with a kite whilst me and my wife got the deck chairs out. Anyway, I got the video camera out and started filming the kids when I noticed what looked like figures in white moving around the tour. I turned the camera that way and zoomed in and can make out men and women all in white robes walking in a circle. I filmed them for about a minute when they stopped dead and one of them spun around and stared straight at me. I quickly pointed the camera back at the kids and about five minutes later chanced a glance back but they were gone. I say something like, how weird, and he carries on, seemingly more intense, his eyes widening. So we carry on with the holiday, all fine. We get home, there's a handwritten note been posted through the letterbox, and it just says, you, interrupting, you interrupted something you shouldn't have. It freaked the wife out, but we didn't link it to anything and assumed someone was either messing with us or it was the wrong address. Next day, an envelope arrives with nothing on it. It just has dead insects in it. Again, we couldn't make head nor tail of it. Then I think of the figures we've seen. He starts shaking his head. Mate, you're not going to believe this. I put the tape in the video player and press play. There's the kids with the kite, the wife. Then you see me start zooming in on the figures. Then the figures all stop, as I remember. Then one turns around and looks at me. But then the video flips to black and white. The image is upside down, and on the screen is me pointing to the camera back at them. It's like they'd start filming me from the tour. That's about three seconds, then the tape stops. Mate, at this point, I freak out. Now, as he's telling me the story, he's getting more and more animated to the point I'm both scared of the story and starting to feel the same about him. Then it got terrible. He goes on, the house phone would ring at like 3 a.m., no one there, and then you'd call 1471 to get the last caller's number. It would say the last call was like 4 p.m. The kids started saying there were people watching them sleep. My wife was locked in the bathroom. There's no lock on the door. Something was just holding the door shut. He's getting so animated, I'm genuinely trying to sneak a look at if my door was locked, or just how I can make a run for it if needed. Now it started getting personal, he said. Stupid things like car registration plates being the initials of someone you hate, you know? Like to wind you up? Now, as much as this whole story seems spooky and paranormal, I thought this comment a little far-fetched and bordering on delusional paranoia, as I thought that his face changed and he said in a low voice, Please don't think I'm paranoid. I don't, mate. It's all terrifying, I said. He was quiet for a few minutes. I just started to, I just wanted to get home now. I'd had enough. We got close enough that I decided I could walk the rest and no way did I want him knowing where I lived. So I asked him to pull over, which he did, and he turned the engine off and turned to me. Last thing that happened was last week. A thin white light shone from the landing into my room. I just watched go slowly up the wall. Then click, it went off. As soon as it did, the kids screamed from their separate rooms. Jesus, I said. Hand on the door handle, he welled up, rubbed his eyes, let out a big sigh and said, Sorry to unload on you, mate. If anything does happen, I don't know what to tell you. 
Maybe see a priest. He morbidly chuckled, as did I. Thanks, mate. See you soon. I said and got out of the car. He beeped and drove off, and I ran home scared, more scared than I ever been in my life. Next day, Mark, the playwright, called to say he didn't think I was right for the parch, which I agreed with, and I then said, Tell you what, that's Steve's intense, ain't he? Huh? said Mark. Steve, who does the music? I said, What about him? He left me with a lift home last night, I said. Steve wasn't there last night, Mark said. I went on to describe him where he was sat relative to us. You even gestured to him and said he did the music, I said. Mate, that guy was there when we got there. He was on his own. Nothing to do with us. Didn't realize I gestured to him. I was just meant Steve does music. I was gobsmacked. It's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me, and I always wonder who he was and what's become of him. Sorry for the long email, mate. Best of luck with the show, man. And on that, I've got a pretty decent listenership both here and statewide if you fancy coming on to chat about your podcast. Just let me know. We can sort a time ASAP. Cheers from Kev. Thanks, guys. If you have a story that you want to share on the show, film yourself telling your tale, or write it out in full detail and email it to me at luthersworldmail at gmail.com, and we'll use it on a future chapter. What's up? I'm Barrett Bronson, and you're watching Luther's World of Cryptids, Ghosts, and the Unexplained. Now, it's time for the cryptids of the world. In this chapter, we venture out to the wilds of California and hear about the Lone Pine Mountain Devil. The Lone Pine Mountain Devil is described as being a winged demon sent straight from the depths of hell itself. They are said to be bat-like, large and furry, multi-winged, and have multiple layers of deadly venomous fangs. They say that the Lone Pine Mountain Devil will only eat the soft cartilage of the faces and the torso of their victims, and they'll leave the rest to just simply rot away. The first reports of the Lone Pine Mountain Devil started in the 1800s as settlers started moving in to the wilderness of California. Rotting corpses of travelers would be found with their faces eaten off, leaving them completely unrecognizable. The most detailed account of the creature came in 1878 by Father Martinez. Father Martinez had been on a wagon train with a group of Spanish settlers, 37 in total. They disappeared somewhere within the Sierra Nevada desert. The rotting corpses were found later by a group of copper miners. Only Father Martinez survived. According to him, the settlers were having a celebration and didn't, he did not want to partake in such shenanigans. So he went out to the outskirts of the camp and just tried to go to sleep within his tent. He heard a big commotion and it awoke him and he, when he peered out of his tent, he witnessed winged demons swarm down from the trees and attack and massacre the settlers. 
His last entry in his journal read, My God, my God, they are gone. The winged demons have arisen. What sin have they committed against each other, the, thy sacred earth? May the forgiving Lord not abandon their souls, which were taken from them into the depths of hell. And through the earthly fires of man, a soul tree remains on the mountain peak. And the devils that spared me return to the refuge of the lone pine of the mountain. Is the lone pine mountain devil real? Well, it's a real cryptid of the world. Lonnie Olson, he is back with another Bigfoot tale. And this is Spellman of The Storytellers. 1924, in the Mount St. Helens region, about eight miles from Spirit Lake, five gold prospectors would have a hostile encounter that would later give name to the region, Ape Canyon. The men had a mine and had occasionally seen large footprints about. And having no clue what they were, they didn't know really what to think of them. And then one day a strange thing happened. As they were walking a path, they, they noticed a large ape-like creature kind of peering around a tree at them. Well, one of the prospectors pulled out his rifle, took aim, and, and shot the creature in the neck. The creature, obviously in pain, turned around and ran away. The men, confused and maybe a little scared, clutched their rifles a little harder. Later on in the day, they were to encounter their second creature. This one, also very large and ape-like, was close to this canyon rim. And the prospector, Fred Beck, this time, raised his gun and shot three times, the shots echoing through the canyon. Three shots hitting this creature in the back, sending the creature falling down to the canyon below, the body never to be found. Well, the men later took refuge in their windowless cabin. But it wasn't long as night fell that their encounter grew way more hostile as the ape men counterattacked. It started with a piece of wood being torn away from their cabin and then the sounds of heavy banging on the walls and the roof frightened the men to the point of the men having to secure the door and the men started to fire through the walls. But the banging and pounding continued, as did the sound of rocks being hurtled on the roof. There was no idea how many creatures were out because the men were hiding in the windowless cabin and could not see anything, but they just heard pounding on all sides of them. This encounter lasted for about five hours, clearly all throughout the night. And in the morning, the men woke and headed, packed up and headed back to Kelso and reported the incident to local authorities. A group of men, rangers and Fred Beck, took a trip back to the area to take a look at the carnage. The cabin withstood all the banging and barrage and rocks. And what they found were um, some rocks and some more footprints. The authorities, though, writing it all off as a prank. Years later, it was said that 
potentially this all happened because there was a group of uh, boys camp that was not too far and they would prank and throw rocks down at this cabin. Could be true, but it doesn't really give, give us any sort of clue as to what these creatures were that these men did run into on that day in 1924. Let's go overseas to visit Strange Things Are Afoot in the UK. Hello, Dr. Luther, and hello to all you paranormal enthusiasts out there. My name is Occultare, your purveyor of the paranormal here in the UK. Now, you may know that I reside in the city of Nottingham, one of the world's most haunted cities, definitely maybe the most haunted city here in the UK. Now, we have our fair share of famous ghosts, and I'm going to focus on two of them today. Queen Isabella, the she-wolf of France, and Philip Mortimer, the de facto king of England. Now, Queen Isabella is seen as one of history's femme fatales, a woman that was very beautiful, very intelligent, and had the wilds to convince men to do things that would one day get them killed. Uh, and Philip was, well, a wealthy, um, very impressive military man, um, a knight of the realm, in a sense, uh, that was given power by the King of England, which at the time was Edward II, husband to Queen Isabella. Now, Queen Isabella met Philip over in France on a diplomatic mission, and that's where they started their torrid and illicit affair. Uh, this affair was so widespread that they actually have a thing in Nottingham called Mortimer's Hole, which is a tunnel uh, that leads through the sandstone into the, well, effectively the centre of Nottingham Castle. Um, this was used so they could have their affair uh, in secret. Now, Isabella and the current king, Edward II, didn't get on so well. They did have a son who would be, go on to be Edward III, but... Uh, Basically, their relationship was that bad that it ended in, well, war, uh, of which Edward II lost. Uh, he was then summarily dragged uh, by four horses to his place of execution and then disemboweled. Uh, supposedly he gave out a rather inhuman scream uh, when that happened to him. Uh, I'm sure I'd probably do the same. Uh, and at the time, this was done publicly, uh, also in front of Isabella and Philip. This was the medieval period, I would like to say. And uh, at this time, her son, who would go on to be Edward III, he wasn't technically old enough to rule. He was only 12. So Isabella made herself Queen of England and Philip became the de facto King of England. Now, as Edward grew up, uh, he started to get suspicious and started to realise that maybe his mother and uh, stepdad... Uh, wouldn't want to give up power to him, and they may try and have him killed. So one day, with his most loyal of knights, he actually stormed the castle through Mortimer's Hole to get to Philip Mortimer, where he was dragged, well, gagged and dragged away, uh, with Queen Isabella wailing into the night. Uh, this didn't end very well for Philip, as he was also executed. He was spared a full traitor's death, and was dragged behind two horses uh, and then hung at a place uh, that was infamous for executions near London. Now, at the time, executions 
could take a long time. He was hung, and hanging victims could take hours to die. He was spared that and did die, supposedly, in a couple of minutes. Um, at this point, Lady Isabella was distraught, and she exiled herself to a castle over in Norfolk, uh, in the southeast of the country. Uh, she remained there, basically, for the rest of her life. Um, her son... Well, it didn't end well for him either. Uh, his death is debated. Some people say he died uh, of natural causes. Others say that he was actually suspended above a pit of dying and rotting animals. Uh, they were hoping that the vapours would overtake him, make him ill, and then he would die. Uh, but he was young and strong, so that didn't happen. So they pinned him to the floor and pushed a red-hot poker into his anus uh, with a drenching horn yes i'll let you imagine that one uh, so yeah it didn't end well for him now the ghosts of isabella uh, and philip supposedly reside around nottingham castle um, philip can be heard being dragged away through mortimer's hole uh, and his sh shuffling footsteps are heard uh, i don't think anybody's actually seen him but they have seen Isabella. Her apparition appears in different places around Nottingham Castle and her wailing into the night can be heard. Um, probably the most famous story is of a few American GIs during World War II uh, that heard her many times during the night. She's also supposedly been seen over in Rising Castle in Norfolk where she spent the rest of her life. Um, there is a picture of her sort of people in that were investigating that castle kept hearing wolves uh, in the middle of the night well we don't really have wolves here in england and we definitely do not have them in norfolk uh, and they've also captured photos of an apparition that looks like a wolf and it is believed to be queen isabella as she was the she-wolf of france thank you very much for joining me this week and uh, remember, strange things are afoot here in the UK. Next up is the devil himself, Drexel. This is defining the unknown. Greetings and salivations. I'm Drexel, pro wrestling's fully functioning homicidal artist, and I'm here to define the unknown. I'm Luther's World, and today's word of the day is Taphophilia. See, taphophilia is an English term born of two ancient Greek words. The first is taphos, which applies to matters such as funerals, wakes, tombs, burials, and graves, plus philia, which means love or fondness. Taphophilia quite literally means a love of graveyards, deaths, and all related subject matter. See, taphophiles may enjoy such activities as visiting graveyards and cemeteries, uh, maybe photographing those locations, reading epitaphs off the graves, or even taking grave rubbings off of them, thinking about and discussing subjects of death and the lives of those who've passed on, and studying the history of the graveyard and or famous deaths that have occurred in the area and those people have been buried in that graveyard or, you know, whatever. See, tab files often can be found doing a lot of researching uh, of, like, subjects such as art or burial rites and customs, or photography, including post-mortem photography, poetry, music, and other creative mediums in which death has has been featured in varying capacities. See, tapophilia is known to play a part 
in the goth subculture, although interest in one does not mean interest in both. You know, sometimes goth is just being goth and emo. But, you know, some famous taphophiles are um, Amanda Norman. She was a well-known English taffo photographer or uh, a couple guys. One was named William Shakespeare and another was Edgar Allan Poe. But I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I mean, who'd they ever be? So if you've ever been driving down the street and you see a, a graveyard or a cemetery and you're like, I'm dying to go check that place out. You, you, uh, you suffer from taphophilia. <laughs> now back to you, Luther. <laughs> Are you into ghost hunting or just being scared? Well, look no further because it is time for the Haunted Hotel. And this week we're staying out in Hollywood, California, as we stay over the night at the Chateau Marmont. The cost to stay at the Chateau will run you around $865 a night. The Chateau Marmont is not open to the public to just walk in. You must have a room booked to just enter the premises. The hotel was once called the place to misbehave and reports from both guests and employees alike have included the feelings of being watched, the sounds of voices or people talking, furniture being moved on its own, windows opening on their own, apparitions of spirits and floating heads, and the feeling of someone even getting into the bed next to you. There are claims of famous ghosts within the hotel. Howard Hughes, John Belushi, Marilyn Monroe, Jim Morrison, and Boris Karloff. In the 1960s, the band The Doors had stayed at the hotel and sometime a few years ago in the 2000s, I believe it was, a man was staying there writing a book so he stayed in the same room that they stayed in. The man was awoken in the middle of the night to a party, but this party was in his room. He was the only one there. He got so freaked out he left in the middle of the night and never came back. A few famous rooms to look at, if you're going to stay, would be bungalow number three. This room, bungalow number three, is the room that John Belushi died in on March 5th, 1982. In 1999, a family was staying in room number three when they reported that their two-year-old son was just constantly laughing and talking to himself. And the parents asked him, who are you talking to? And the child replied, the funny man. So the mom printed out pictures of different people's faces, like headshots, and laid them all out in the front of the boy, just random people or different celebrities. And the boy pointed straight at the picture of John Belushi and said, it's the funny man. Room 79 is said to be the most haunted. Reports of moving furniture, knocking on doors, and even a floating head 
that has been seen looking outside the window. And a woman reported her windows one night being opened, right in the middle of the night, by themselves. And then the feeling of someone getting into the bed right next to her. And when she finally turned to look, no one was there. The windows in her room had bars on them, so no one came in or opened them. These windows opened on their own from the inside. So if you're heading to Hollywood, I would reserve ahead of time and stay at the Chateau Marmont. If you have a story that you want to share on the show, film yourself telling your tale or write it out in full detail and email it to me at luthersworldmail at gmail.com and we'll use it on a future chapter. I'd like to thank you for stopping by. Thank you to my storytellers, to my readers, to the people telling their original stories, and most importantly, thank you to you, the viewers. So until next chapter, let the chaos run strong.